Hey, it's Painter with the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. Appreciate you giving this podcast some of your time. I would certainly appreciate if you give me a follow on Twitter at Paint Sharpless. Lob some criticism my way. Give me some feedback. I'd love positive feedback, too. I'll take it. I'm really looking forward to this. We're just getting started. It's only week two. There's plenty that we can add, tweak, adjust. Again, I'll take your feedback. I'll take anything that you want and see what I can do with it to make it interesting and entertaining for you so that not only are you getting informative news, but you're getting a unique perspective that you think is fun and hopefully that makes you want to come back and also allows you to feel like you are a part of the show just as much as I am. Plenty to get into today, but first, a word from the folks who make this podcast possible. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on? Peter Sharpless hanging out with you here on the Locked On Oldness Podcast. Your team, the Oldness Rebels, every day and an abundance of material to get to. Why a later spring practice could affect the Oldness quarterback battle. Perhaps the most important question to answer this offseason among many. What does it mean for John Rice Plumley, who's right now playing baseball? And how will that impact Matt Corral as well as Grant Tisdale, who uh, entered the transfer portal and will uh, will be back? He's he's exited the transfer portal, so I think that's worth noting. Touched on this earlier, six wins seems very reasonable. A few people are, are, are starting to do the way too early predictions, and mine, uh, we started doing that, I guess, last week. Six wins going bowling seems very promising, and and seven, to me, in fact, seems very plausible. We'll talk about the Mississippi football recruiting landscape, some of the top quarterback targets on the recruiting trail, three of the Ole Miss 2021 commits, baseball with 10 nationally televised, nationally televised dates, baseball with 10 nationally televised dates, 29 games versus top 25 teams, And at the end, a little bit of fun at the expense of Kermit Davis, whose team is on a roll, depending on when you're listening to this. They've got that game with Mississippi State. I'm recording this before that's taken place, so we'll see if they're still on a roll Wednesday. So to an annoying extent, this offseason, the conversation will be about excitement, what Lane Kiffin can bring, how he will shore up that defense, and, you know, the sexiest topic of the offseason, you know it, you know it, quarterback. We're going to talk about it so much that it's not going to be fun by the time that uh, that fall camp runs around, comes around. I, I hope there's an answer. I'm not sure that there will be. Spring practice will be informative, but how much do you really get to find out with Plumley playing baseball. A lot of people understandably pointing to Matt Corral as the person who will benefit the most as he has starting experience. 
with Plumlee playing baseball, practicing baseball. I think that Grant Tisdale has a phenomenal opportunity here because you know the thing that they're all going to say as we get closer and closer to spring camp, everybody's got a clean slate. Everybody. Well, if that's true, I want to see the former four-star Grant Tisdale who entered the transfer portal and elected to remove himself from the transfer portal. And that was according to his own father. Uh, There was a little bit of anonymity originally about who it was that Kiffin was talking about when he mentioned to media members a few weeks back about a player meeting and then deciding to return with the team. Kiffin did not identify him, but uh, we know that to be Tisdale. So all that said, Plumlee, of course, will be the, I think, the, the leader. That won't change. Plumlee will be the leader heading into spring camp just by virtue of having played the most games last year. But he's not helping himself by playing baseball, and I don't mind him playing baseball. I think it's perfectly fine. I just don't think he's helping himself. You know, more and more recently, people are pointing out to not specializing. Letting your kids be kids, they say. Let them find out what they enjoy. Well, Plumlee can find out what he enjoys and also find out how much of a contributor he will be to the Ole Miss baseball team versus what he thinks he can do for the Ole Miss football team. Understandably, though, a lot of people with Corral having experience last year also as a starter think that he'll benefit from the additional reps. I think watch Grant Tisdale. We have seen Kiffin succeed with a number of different styles of quarterback, but I'm thinking if you've got an opportunity, a guy who is six one more than 200 pounds, a true dual threat, whether it is Blake Sims, Jake Coker, or a number of the other quarterbacks who've had moderate to great success with Kiffin, I like an idea, the idea of having a guy so long as he can throw the ball, put the athlete out there. We're seeing that work for teams more and more. Look at Kentucky. I don't know what they were running last year, but it looked a lot like Nick Marshall to some extent at Auburn in 2013. And depending on the strengths of the line, maybe you don't have to be the most proficient passer this year. There's a lot of different factors to work out. What are the strengths of the team? What are the strengths of the offensive line? How much support do you have from your skill position players? Does the starting experience for Plumlee really give him an advantage? Same question for Corral over a guy like Tisdale. But one thing's for certain, Kiffin wanted him to stay and he heard Kiffin out and he's coming back. Keep an eye on Tisdale. Corral, though, of course, with Plumlee out, I would imagine will be the first person to benefit, at least in terms of snaps. I'm curious to see how they handle that. You would think they'd come in, say, clean slate. You'd think that they would then, for the first practice, or a couple of practices, give them an equal amount of reps. I would expect them to start out equal, and then you'll see as performances vary, if anything becomes clear in the spring, and maybe you're not in a rush unless one player is just certainly head and shoulders, and I sort of doubt that will be the case. You're not necessarily in a rush. Give those guys lots of reps, but watch for Grant Tisdale. Watch for Grant Tisdale. If you're going to start with a hard reset, You've got some young options here, so it doesn't have to be Tisdale. But in terms of athleticism, I think it's a very attractive option. Look at what Kiffin was able to do with Blake Sims at Alabama. And you'll say, well, Painter, that was Alabama. I think the talent around him was a little bit more helpful. You're right. But if he can take a quarterback turn, running back turn back into quarterback and make him successful, I feel confident that he can work with Tisdale and make him a proficient enough passer to allow his athleticism, his speed, to take over games. Now, on the other hand, Plumlee with those eight games starting experience, and uh, maybe he finds out, look, baseball just, I don't know if he's going to be more passionate about one or the other. I don't know if he feels like he'll get an opportunity to play more in one or the other. 
We can get into the whole specialization thing. I don't really care. I think it's awesome if you can do both. But we've heard former players talk about how difficult this is now that people are so incredibly good at a younger age. So it goes both ways. And you've got people saying things like Patrick Mahomes, well, you know, and Russell Wilson, they they make these crazy throws and they're super accurate. And, you know, if you think Plumlee is all that and maybe that helps them, I don't think there's a downside to the argument that competition, camaraderie, whatever you want to call it, throw out the cliches. I don't care. Maybe that helps. Maybe that helps with your throwing. Maybe it gives you a different perspective. It has worked for some other notable quarterbacks who have been very, very talented and dedicated. And so I've sort of skipped over Matt Corral here, but I mean, he certainly deserves attention and a nod because I would think he'd be the first one to step up and take a throw. As much as I talked about Tisdale there with Plumlee playing baseball, even if they split those reps evenly that first week or first few practices, I still expect Corral to be the guy that with some experience tries to lead the team. And again, for whatever it's worth, and it's not much, at least takes the first nap in practice. Something definitely to monitor will be the body language of the players. It will be interesting to hear whispers of guys who seem to be able to guide the team. And how much can a guy do that when he's not the starter? Now, for some players, it's natural, whether they're natural leaders, charismatic. Maybe it's becoming evident to other people that they're the best quarterback in the room. It's a deep quarterback room, mind you. Six guys there, two former starters, or two guys with starting experience, I should say. So can a guy like Grant Tisdale show his improvement with a clean slate and a new coaching staff, find comfort leading other guys, find a voice as a redshirt freshman, something he was almost certainly not comfortable doing last year? Far from the last time we'll talk quarterbacks here on the show. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be a huge offseason topic because it is such an outsized and, and critical component to any offense, especially now where we are seeing dual threat quarterbacks who yes they can run but just as valuable as picking up runs design using the read option scrambling picking up first downs it's just creating time the best quarterbacks right now it seems like can not only run for yardage but can run to give their receivers and their skill position players an opportunity to get open in that extra split second and again not it's not always fair to compare college students who are redshirt freshmen trying to win a starting job to a Super Bowl-winning quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. But part of what makes him so great is not just that he can pick up first downs with his legs. No, part of that is simply that he gives his very talented skill position players and very capable, world-class even, coordinator and head coach play callers something extra to work with with his legs and extra time to scheme open players. And I think Lane Kiffin falls into this category. Again, think about how different Sims and Coker were at Alabama and how successful he managed to make that. He made that work. Albeit with the help of a very talented roster surrounding those players. But they're no doubt very different. And neither of them went on to have successful professional careers. Proving, and Ole Miss is... I don't see a professional quarterback on this roster currently. Maybe I'll be proven wrong over the next year or two, but increase your talent pool over the next two seasons. A young guy like Plumlee or Tisdale improves as time goes on. Skill position and lines get better. Teams a little deeper. Suddenly, in year three, one of these guys looking like a real viable option. So I mentioned that we would take a look back again at that way too early analysis. Six wins seems very, very possible with proper quarterback play, whoever it is that starts and with a Fine supporting cast. Southeast Missouri, UConn, and Georgia Southern should all be wins. Even Georgia Southern, which, you know, they were 7-6 and six 
in the prior year. I mean, even with Ole Miss having a roster that will look very different in two or three years and will look and be much better in two or three years, the Eagles simply should not have the capability or the roster talent to hang. I want to add Vanderbilt and Arkansas to that list too because Vanderbilt, even though that one's in Nashville, they've just simply not been good. I'm not sure they can do better than Derek Mason. There's a lot about him that I like as a coach. That needs to be a win. And Arkansas, they haven't won a conference game in two years. The only challenge there is those two games are on the road, but I think those are not just questionable. Those both should be wins. Games that are seemingly harder to predict that you feel like very well could be wins but could also be losses, Baylor and Mississippi State. I'm I'm close to putting Mississippi State in the category of Vanderbilt and Arkansas simply because of how hard of a restart they're having to hit and this game will be in Oxford. However, when have we ever been able to adequately just assume the Egg Bowl will go according to plan. You people are insane. Baylor I like because I don't think that that is a talented team. Matt Rule did a nice job with what he had, and what he had is leaving. That staff, like Lane Kiffin, is starting over, and they just haven't been recruiting well. Like Ole Miss, again, going back to the point of that I made a moment ago regarding some other teams and their talent, Ole Miss is as good if not better. And I don't have to tell those of you listening how that has gone compared to how it was right before Hugh Freeze had to leave. And quite honestly, it may never be top five again, but Lane Kiffin can get it in the top 15. And with all that said, that roundabout way of all those teams that I just mentioned, I mean, there's not necessarily a a team that I think you can just outright assume is deeper and more talented across the board. And so right there, I see a very plausible seven and extremely likely six wins. And then your upset opportunities, you get Auburn early in the season. What a statement that would be. Simply, I think, keeping this one moderately close, like going into the fourth quarter because of how big now finally you get to a game. I say finally, it's in the third game of the week, but of all the games I've reviewed thus far, this team simply has way more talent. Gus Malzahn has been to multiple SEC championship games, 2010, 2013 as a head coach, 2017, which he lost, but he got there in a rematch, losing to Georgia. So the talent is there every couple of years to get to an SEC championship. They'll be returning a quarterback uh, with the exception of Kellen Mond and a transfer into Georgia. Bo Nix now becomes the most experienced or third most experienced quarterback behind those two players. I think Auburn just has too much. It is at home, and I think it's one that can give your fan base some real excitement heading into the rest of the season as it's your third game of the season, and you go, all right, there was some excitement, something we can hang our heads on, something we can feel like we're working towards that will keep us engaged. I think that is what the goal should be. Of course you want to win. It'd be a phenomenal and surely unexpected thing to do. Auburn should be pretty handsomely favored in this one. And again, your rosters are just not comparable right now. Even after two or three seasons, when things get much better, it's still advantage Auburn. At this point with Gus Malzahn going into year eight, it's not close. So if you get a first half or even two and a half to three quarters where it's moderately close and you've you've got some scoring against a defense, Kevin Steele's defenses have been really stingy since 2016. You can get some points on that. You feel good about yourself. You can slow down Bo Nix. You feel pretty good about that in the first month of the Lane Kiffin era. This one I like more right here, Texas A&M, because I'm still not sold on Kellen Mond. And whether under Fisher, under Sumlin, that has been a month, in part because of who they've had to play, that the Aggies have struggled. Last season, after the loss to Auburn, they didn't really look like the same team. Well, they have another game that sort of causes them to stumble the rest of the way down the stretch. Also, I think last year people just jumped on the A&M bandwagon 
one year too soon. Now Jimbo Fisher has had two top 10 recruiting classes in two straight cycles, and some of those players, a lot of those players will be contributing as sophomores and some of the true freshmen. And Kellen Mond, you finally think, all right, is this the year? Like, you don't have to be a Heisman finalist, but we need you to be a top three quarterback in the league. You're the most experienced. You've been in this system for three years. You've seen him occasionally, like in that Clemson game, two seasons back. Oh, wow, Kellen Mond really showing me something here. And as odd as Auburn can be and, and out of focus and, and seemingly bizarre and wacky and chaotic, they, they tend to create more chaos than any team, not just in the conference, but in the entire country. I actually like Ole Miss over Texas A&M November 7th more than Ole Miss over Auburn early, which may be counterintuitive. I think there's too many question marks around Kellen Mond and how good he can be. However, maybe he doesn't have to be as good this season, maybe the talent will simply elevate him instead of him having to elevate everyone else around him. So I'm going to have Auburn and A&M as a loss. Sorry to break it to you. However, I do think if there's one of those two that you can win, I think you can bank on it more in College Station over Texas A&M near the end of the season. Talk about a momentum boost heading into, well, starting off November. Then you would go to Arkansas, come back home for your last two, Georgia Southern Mississippi State. I think if you can upset A&M, who I believe will be a top 25 still by November. I think that this year, finally, we see some real headway for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies. That would be very significant because you have an opportunity to go a perfect 4-0. As I just said, they'll beat Arkansas and they'll beat Georgia Southern. And in year one, anyway, I think Kiffin has the advantage returning a lot of the offensive side of the ball and just what a hard restart it is that Mike Leach is going to have to deal with in Mississippi State. They don't have a lot of the personnel that they need to run that offense. And they're bringing in Costello, the transfer from Stanford. Maybe that'll work out. I think it adds at least some experience there, which certainly seems to be a part of what Mike Leach was going for. But honestly, that's a pretty phenomenal first season because you're not beating LSU, Alabama, and Florida. And all three of those games will be fun for different reasons. There will be a lot made of Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin, their reunion of sorts. You'll be in Baton Rouge with two fan bases that get rowdier than almost any and all of the country. And Florida comes to Oxford October 17th, and I think that's one where if you're Dan Mullen, you're really trying to make a statement. It's an SEC crossover game, sort of this. I, I think you could see those two coaches exchanging friendly barbs wouldn't surprise me one bit, honestly, for those two to have some fun in the media with one another. But the talent is just not comparable. I mean, does anyone feel confident about going into Baton Rouge with this roster and that roster? Same question, but Alabama coming to Oxford, I think it's pretty straightforward. You get seven wins, assuming, and this is a big assumption, that you're not a total mess September 5th against Baylor, and assuming that the Egg Bowl, which provides an unusual amount of chaos tilts in the favor of the team that I believe has more talent and is at home and has, I guess you could argue, a revenge factor after the way things went last year, if you want to do that. And then if you could steal one from Auburn or A&M, you're, you're looking great. You're looking at a possible eight wins in year one. Florida's fascinating, too, because a lot of people this offseason will pick them as the dark horse. You know, Georgia at this point seems to have earned the benefit of the doubt as the favorite in the East, and I would expect that to be Maybe by a slim majority, still the case. But Kyle Trask is coming back. Georgia is bringing in a new quarterback. They lost a lot on the offensive line, which at times was, as Florida fans found out, a very challenging thing for Franks or Trask to deal with. And now you're bringing in a fresh face at quarterback for Georgia with a lot of fresh faces on the offensive line. That That's a lot to deal with. 
And on top of all that, they're changing that philosophy because they're realizing that they cannot get away with playing 2008 Alabama-style football. Briefly, keep your eyes on Colton Gothier. A lot of people think he's the guy that will land in that quarterback spot for 2021. And Luke Altmaier, like a guy that goes back to Matt Luke's staff, someone who's committed to, to Florida State after Mike Norvell left Memphis. Ole Miss was the first to offer him a scholarship among Power 5 schools anyway. And they really, really want him. They think that they could build around him. So those are the two names I would watch if you're curious about quarterbacks, Colton Gothier and Luke Altmaier. As far as recruiting around Mississippi, I'll say this much. There are three commitments the Rebels have right now. Kicker Jack Tannehill and athletes Chandler Pittman and MJ Daniels. All three of those guys were offered by the previous staff at Ole Miss. And one guy to watch, the most, uh, perhaps one of the most coveted players coming out of the state of Mississippi that has had a noticeable uptick in talent over the last two years, don't think that can be said as much about this class, but we'll see how that plays out. The number one target in the state of Mississippi, wide receiver Antonio Harmon, 6'3", 200 pounds. Some people comparing him to Metcalf. I think I get the idea and why people would want to do that. Let's hold off. Nonetheless, big dude. If you can get him aboard, others will follow. Whether it's a quarterback, I just mentioned a few possibilities. Perhaps other offensive players or skill position players that would want to line up next to that guy. He's from Mississippi. I think he can help make the argument, hey, let's do something special in this state. Get Ole Miss back to what it was just a few years ago. Whether it's on the offensive or defensive side of the ball, these top players can definitely be huge recruiting tools to help sell alongside the coaching staff, help sell that program and bring guys into the fold. And we see this every year. Of course, it's not unusual. And as someone who has been very straightforward with his recruitment thus far, He'll make that decision, and I think he'll help the coaching staff. And if that's Ole Miss, for Lane Kiffin, that's one of, the, I think, the biggest recruiting wins you could get to start things off, and it's very possible it could happen. Mississippi State, of course, Alabama in on this. Tennessee, who under Jeremy Pruitt have been recruiting better, are also factors. This is going to be tough, but one that could really be the biggest statement in recruiting for Lane Kiffin this season. Ole Miss baseball, this was announced a few days back, but I thought worth mentioning as the season starts in just a few days. will be on national television 10 different times. They will have 29 games against top 25 teams. They are in a hellish conference, but we saw this freaky enough with Auburn last year, a team that was about 10th in the SEC. And in a lot of major statistics about that number, and got hot at the right time thanks to some timely at-bats and a matchup against some teams that, quite frankly, they were seeded ahead of Auburn but were not as good, was able to get to the College World Series and the expectations at Ole Miss, well, I don't have to tell you, they're high. Ole Miss with a great opportunity to win the conference, but they don't have to do that to make it back to the College World Series. And it will be easy to watch the Rebs this year on the SEC Network, and they'll be playing a lot of great teams. That's going to wrap it up for today's edition of the show. At Paint Sharpless is how you can connect with me, and I'd love to hear from you. Feedback, criticisms, show ideas, different topics, whatever it is, you let me know. This time of the season, I don't want to drill you over the head with the basketball talk, and so I didn't do that today. We'll find out, as I mentioned, and I had some Kermit Davis audio for you. Perhaps we'll get to that. Sometimes I like to start things without finishing them, but I thought he did a... Uh, a nice little teaser for you Ole Miss fans that turned out to be sort of endearing and awkward all at the same time. But maybe we'll get into that another day. How about that? How about that? 
another edition of the Locked on Ole Miss podcast, your team every day. Don't be a stranger. Until next time, be easy.